So I'm speaking with composer Siddhartha Kosla, whose music has been such a huge part of shows like The Royals, The Runaways, This Is Us, and The Kids Are All Right. Uh, his versatility and talents as a storyteller has made him such a standout uh, voice in the industry and uh, an incredibly in-demand composer. And Siddhartha, thank you so much for uh, speaking today. Uh, honored to be talking to you, Kaya. Thanks so much. Uh, so to start, I would love to know kind of your uh, path to becoming a composer. Kind of what were those first moments that you remember from childhood that kind of triggered an interest in music or, or movies, if that was that early? And, and when in your life did it pivot into a career as a kind of film and TV composer? Well, my parents, um, my parents left India in the late 70s um, and uh, left India to, to move to the United States and, uh, and build, a, build a life here. Um, for them and their family, um, and I was born soon after that. And at the time, um, you know, my parents were basically struggling to, to make ends meet. They were in school full time, and they were working full time, you know, at night. Uh, so they didn't really have enough money to take care of me, and so they sent me back to India to be raised by my grandparents oh, wow. uh, for the first few years of my life. I mean, you know, they literally, they lived the quintessential immigrant story. They came to this country with $8 and, uh, and, and a newborn kid was, 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 was too expensive at the time. Um, so I tell that story because so much of my musical upbringing, um, and so much of the music that I write even today is informed by those experiences and, and, and particularly the Indian music that I heard growing up as a kid. Um, I grew up listening to the music that my grandparents listened to, and finally when I came back to the United States when I was around three um, or four, I was, you know, then listening to all the music my parents had brought with them on cassette tapes from India. And so my early childhood was just listening to these amazing Indian artists and singers, um, classical Indian music, pop Indian music, all sorts of stuff from like the 60s and 70s that my parents loved and passed on to me. And at a young age, my mom, for whatever reason, she recognized that I had a voice and I could sing and uh, that I could, you know, that I had good pitch. <laughs> and and she started writing lyrics to Indian songs, popular Indian songs for me. Um, and we would go to... Um, we would go to you know temple on 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 Sundays, and my mom would be like, "Here, you're gonna sing this for 150 Indian people," and uh, and that was kind of my introduction to music. It was singing in front of people and singing Indian music in front of people, and um, I spent the next several years of my life, you know, singing Indian music, and I was it's all I did. I listened to Indian music and I sang it, and then in high school, uh, you know, I I I, I met. Um, a bunch of wonderful, you know, friends, and uh, they brought me into their band and introduced me to artists like Western artists, you know, uh, introduced me to the Cure and the Smiths and the Beatles and all sorts of great music and um, REM, the Police, and um, and then that started informing my my the, this my Western sensibility. Um, yeah, it started informing like the the influ you know the Western side of my of my music, and um, you know so then you know kind of so I kind of I had been informed from there were two parts of my uh, two parts of my musical upbringing and one part Indian one part Western, and um, and then that shaped kind of the way I wrote music and I started writing songs and I started a band after college and. 
Um, I toured with that band for a while, and I made records that were some kind of Indian-inspired. There was a little influence in the music. Um, and so that was my, you know, I was, I was, I was, I had a band called Gold Spot. I still have the band. I don't really wow. make records as much, but, um, and we were on a little, we were on a label and toured and that was wonderful. And, um, and then f soon after that, uh, you know, when I was in my, maybe my late 20s, no, maybe not late 20s, maybe I was in, in my like early 30s. Um, I started thinking about a different path, um, and um, a producer writer named Dan Fogelman um, called me uh, and said, "Hey, would you like to score the second season of my television show called The Neighbors on right. ABC?" Yeah, <laughs> and uh, and I took the gig. I was reluctant because I just didn't know if I could do it. To be honest, you know, I just didn't. I had never really written for anything, any visual media before. Um, but I took that gig and it was the best decision I made. Um, and Dan ended up creating This Is Us. Yeah, I mean, that's the connection you have there. Um, were you aware of film music or TV music at the time? Or was that a completely... Or how did Dan find you, uh, first of all? <laughs> well, Dan and I were college buddies. Oh, um, nice. And so we knew each other in college. And, and when I started my band career after college, he would come to shows and was a big fan of my music and just supported whatever I did. And we were, we, so we were, we've been really good friends for a long time. Um, but then while I was touring and making records, he was making film and making television and, and our paths never crossed really, you know, um, we always, we it was always, always separate. We never really worked together on anything. And then finally he called me cause they were looking for a new composer and he said, would, would you want to come in? Um, and I, and I said, sure. So, um, there was a relationship before, you know, it was a friendship that was there, you know, years before we even started working together. Wow, I mean that that must have helped, I guess, uh, jumping into such a new territory. Did you did you feel like Dan gave you a little bit of a safety net when you kind of were trying to get your bearings on this kind of new career? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it was it couldn't have been a more supportive situation. You know, I, I was, I think I hid it. I hid the the um, at the time I hid the level of anxiety and stress I probably felt from doing that first project because it wasn't just like that first project was straight to network television. It was. Yeah. You know, and we were on a crazy schedule delivering 22 episodes of this show, working every week to deliver, you know, a, a, and it was an orchestral score as well. So there was, um, there was, there was, there was a lot. It was pretty involved. Um, it was okay. I mean, it was mostly in the box, but still, it was like a lot of orchestrating to do. Um, but, um, but yeah. So you know, I, I kind of. I think the safety net was definitely there to help, you know, to help guide me through that process. A lot of people were like, who's this guy? And, 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 and we've never heard of him and <laughs> who is he scoring our show? Um, but ultimately I guess people were happy with what, whatever we did. And so, um, you know, that, that was a, that was a huge learning. That was a huge less learning lesson for me. And, and also a huge learning curve I kind of had to overcome, but I did it. Yeah, I mean, that's amazing. So, I mean, looking back at that, um, you know, what tips would you have for composers who are kind of jumping into their first project? I mean, you, you have to, of course, you're going to encounter nervousness and maybe self-doubt and, and kind of all these maybe like uh, looking at yourself, like, can I really do this? Where, where do you find the confidence, I guess, to finally say, okay, I'm capable and I can do this and I, and I have to deliver what's right for, for the show? Well, I think part of it is that, you know, I began my career as an artist making my own records mm, and, yeah. 
and you know early on in my career my music was discovered by you know DJs on KCRW in Los Angeles which was like for me like a dream station to get my music played on um, the DJs like Nick Harcourt um, you know who Nick Harcourt discovered me on radio and and I think that when I was given kind of this like thumbs up early on in my career to say hey keep on doing what you're doing because it's cool or it's interesting um, it's slightly outside the box but you know do it you know those little moments give you an incredible amount of confidence that you carry with you forever and um, and I think you know for me the idea for me to when I got involved in television and film I think I, I made a concerted effort to try to maintain as much of my artistry as I possibly can mm. you know I think that ultimately my favorite composers are the ones that have unique voices um, and don't just do don't just do every genre you know it's I think there's you know I, I think there's you know the beauty of what we do is that there's a lot of, there's so many talented composers that can that do so many different types of genres and do them well um, but then the composers that I look up to um, are the ones that have a unique voice where you can almost hear the score and you're like I bet you this person did it you know yeah yeah, yeah. Absolutely. you can hear an Alexander Desplat score from a mile away just like you could hear John Williams score from a mile away but there's a there there is um, there's something identifiable and so for me in my career I've made a concerted effort to maintain that artistry as much as possible and I think because I've also welcomed it because I've also I've also come in with you know wearing my artistry shirt saying you know I want to do something special and interesting here I've started also attracting producers and writers that want the same from me right. and are hiring me because of that. So, you know, I think it's almost like this, it's, it's, it's a self-fulfilling thing for me, you know, where I've, I've put it out there that I, I want to be as artistic and, and, and do interesting work that I'm proud of as much as possible, but still serve the needs of the show and the directors and the producers, you know. Um, and I think ultimately it's been great because... I get to work with showrunners who are like always are giving me the opportunity to do my thing first to say do what's coming to you first let's see what that is you know yeah, yeah. and it could no, be it could be wrong but at least having that opportunity is important absolutely and I think it's such a I'm such a great thing to hear that because uh, just from my point of view I feel like kind of auteurs and kind of that individuality of of the artist is is dying a little bit I think we're kind of in a world of brands and and kind of, you know, kind of a general feel or general sound. And um, and when you say the word art, I feel like it, it kind of gets a like a negative reaction now. Like, I'm an artist, and people go, oh, that's so pretentious. But I feel like you right. need to embrace your individuality and, and see what you bring to the table, too. And, I mean, it's, it's I'm glad that I hear that from you. And, it's like, you're trying to keep that kind of your musical identity alive, even though I'm sure you have to adapt to temp scores and kind of follow certain, you know, brands and stuff like that. So... Yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, to be honest, too, even with temp scores, I, I mean, we've on any project I work on, I actually, I request that there's not a single ounce of temp score that I ever get to see. They can mm -hmm. see, they can see temp score if they want, but I don't want to see it right. unless they, unless the producers or writers or creators of the, sh or the show or movie, or whatever, have something very specific in mind, which they rarely. I don't find that that often. I'm, I'm finding that. We're in an elevated age of television, particularly, mm -hmm. and part of the reason why it's so elevated is that there's so many unique voices. There's, 
you know, and it's not just in the music, it's in the writing, it's in the direction, it's in the acting, it's in, it's, it's in the stories that are being told, you know? And I think that as we are moving into more diverse storytelling, especially, you are beginning to find way more interesting approaches to, to, to reaching that final product. And that comes, that, that, the music plays a part in that too. Um, and, and more and more scores that I'm hearing on television and film, especially TV, the more original stuff I'm actually hearing from other people too. And so it's exciting to see that because I think, you know, the elevated content that seems to be out there is the stuff that doesn't feel or sound like any, everything else. Absolutely. No, I think TV has, it's where all kind of the middle class of filmmaking went to. It's a, you know, these great auteurs telling these kind of long form stories and, and really having, yeah, TV definitely, I think allows the creators to shine a little bit more, at least today in 2019. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, so you're doing amazing work in TV and you have, you've worked on a number of amazing shows, but uh, let's talk about This Is Us. And so you work with Dan um, kind of on The Neighbors and then when he got This Is Us up and running, was it just where you, did you get the call immediately? Like, hey, I'm, I'm starting the show. I want you to score the pilot. Like, how did that kind of come up? Well, I had done, you know, so after The Neighbors, there were uh, multiple, there were other shows and pilots that I had done between right. um, for a number of years. And I'd done a bunch of pilots for Dan that didn't go to series. Um, then I'd done a bunch of other series and some comedies that had, that had gone um, for other people, including Dan. Um, and then finally, This Is Us came along. And um, he sent me the script for the pilot, and he said, "Hey, will you read this and write me a piece of music? That this that 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 just write me something. Whatever the script is making you do, just can I hear reaction to it?" And um, I had to audition for the role. It wasn't like you know you got this because oh, wow. it was a priority project for them, for NBC, for their for the studio, you know, you know, and so. And, and there were some heavy-hitting directors coming on board, you know. Um, the pilot was directed by John Requa and Glenn Ficarra. Ken Olin um, was involved. And so you had these experienced directors um, who, like, they were bringing in, like, they, they were bringing in, like, some heavy hitters. And, and so everyone had their own opinion on, on what the music should be. Um, and everyone probably had their own people that they've worked with before as well. So there was, you know, I, I had to really, I had to really dig deep and, 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 and earn it, you know? And yeah. so I got that script and I spent the next two days in the studio writing a six and a half minute piece of score that I sent back to Dan and, um, and he loved it and the producers loved it and the other directors loved it. And, and, um, and I was fortunate enough to get hired. Wow. That's amazing. Um, so let I me mean, talk about the pilot scoring process. I mean, I know during pilot season, composers are kind of jumping on different projects and stuff. But once you, you know, once you're working on a pilot and you have that first episode, how, how I guess, is it challenging to find the sound of a show pretty much when you just have, you know, one episode and you kind of maybe have an idea of where it's going because you've talked to your showrunner and the directors and the writers, but with nothing else besides that first episode what's kind of the process to find i guess the sound that was going to be kind of the the foundation for what's to come well the key to finding the sound of of any show is you know really having an understanding of what um 
of what the uh, there's a couple things it's knowing like what the producers like first of all like what is their sensibility musical sensibility that's important you know because if you introduce something that's that is too foreign to everybody you know sonically that they're not used to uh, sometimes that might not work you know but if they have um if, if you know what their sensibility is like and it's just more like general ideas like how far left of center do they go? How far, you know, how center do they want to be? Where, you know, where is this, what was the approach? And I knew from the beginning, based on the directors that were involved, Dan, what they wanted to do. This was going to be a different kind of show. It was going to be special. Even though it was going to be on broadcast television, it was not going to feel like it was going to be on, like, a, like a network television show. Right. Uh, and it was going to feel like a film. And, um, I also knew that Dan wanted to use Sufjan Stevens, um, a song by Sufjan Stevens in the pilot. So that guided me a little bit. And, you know, that they were thinking of a Sufjan Stevens song. Um, so I knew sonically that Sufjan lived in this, you know, very organic space. And um, acoustic guitars, um, uh, vocals, sometimes nondescript vocals. Um, and his voice almost sounds like a little like like a like a viola or something, you know, like it's it's or cello. It's just so smooth, right, right. very legato. And so um, it just it, and it had that. And so I was like, OK, so when I read the script, I also realized that we were jumping around in time by the end of that pilot. Yeah. And the plan for series was that we were going to, you know, the show is about this larger connectivity of life. It's about it's about this idea that you're like you know your 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 ancestors made decisions that that impacted their descendants um, and uh, ultimately you were impacted by it and because you were impacted by it your descendants got will get impacted by it and so it's this it's this you know there's a butterfly effect kind of concept to the show and and because I knew I knew that we were going to be jumping around in multiple timelines I had to find something that was timeless. And that didn't have a timestamp on it. Yeah. Because otherwise, I would be I I could I would might have potentially found myself cornered um, in a box every time like we were in the 80s or the 90s. Was there going to then be a need to have a 90s sounding score or an 80s sounding score, whatever that even is? Yeah, that could be really so messy too. It would have been messy, and it wouldn't have made yeah. sense. And with um, with how complex the storytelling is in the show, with multiple timelines um multiple actors playing the same characters at different stages of their lives i mean so many things to think about um i had to find something that would make the show feel more cohesive and so i opted for something organic and instruments that i could either play on my own or 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 make on my own something that felt timeless so the acoustic guitar for example was a perfect example um, of how I use an instrument that can live, could have been around 80 years ago, could have, will be around 100 more, you know. So um, that was important. So using instruments that didn't feel like they were trendy, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, even the percussion, I play all the percussion on the show on my wooden table, and the, it's all played with my fingers. Wow. And so there are these elements that are very organic, um, that contribute to the score. There's a there's a cellist and she's a beautiful player and she, she plays Ginger Murphy. She plays all over the score as well. You know, so we're using instrumentation that feels 
like it's like it'll stand the test of time. Absolutely. Um, so, I mean, yeah, the show you mentioned, it, it has a very unique structure of jumping in time and, and different timelines and different arcs. Um, it's also very character based and, uh, you know, it, it fueled by these amazing performances by the actors. Um, what's the key to scoring, I guess, performance? It's such a performance heavy show and you're dealing with dialogue and the nuance of the performance and, of course, the editing of these uh, interactions. Is, is, it, is there a trick to, to navigating performance and dialogue versus scoring just straight up action within the frame? Yeah, especially this show, you know, where there's just, there, this show has so much emotional weight to it yeah. uh, in the writing and, the, and in the performances that I almost have to live on screen. I'm so, I'm so, I am kind of like a, I'm an invisible, I find myself to be sometimes like an invisible character on screen with the characters. Like I'm interacting with them in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I find that I do a lot of listening, you know, um, and to find the right emotional beats to hit. Um, so to to be more specific, if I'm watching a particular episode of This Is Us, and I know we're gonna have like a four or five minute piece of score for a certain montage or a certain area, I will literally just I will start with my acoustic guitar sometimes, and just play along with the dialogue, just to kind of see to find a rhythm and a pace first, right, because right. there's there's a clear rhythm to the to the I hear in the in the talking in the dialogue and. And then it's in, then it's just weaving in the melodies at the right time. Um, you know, Dan loves melody and wants to hear melody in the score. He almost he likes to have little hooks in the score. Wants the, you know, wants you to leave an episode of the show and and you know you hear like a a little hook from the score kind of living in you for a while. You know, and and so you know you have to find the right times to bring that stuff in and out um, and. And also, it's a, it's it's a, it's a really it's a test in patience too, because you could easily go big and um, you know sweeping with the score on this show, yeah. um, an orchestra, and it and it and it and it might read as schmaltzy, and um, but then if you if 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 I let my fingers do the work on my acoustic guitar, and I feel the emotional beats, and I keep the score in a place that in a way lives under the skin a little more um, and shines when it's supposed to shine, then I find that it all feels more tasteful. And, um, and it's about finding that balance of when you want to be too big and when you, when you want to be big, when you don't want to be big with the score. Um, and so, so much of my process is, is listening and watching the dialogue. And I honestly don't, um, there's so many. There's this is a very emotional score and a very emotional show, and I, I try not to. It sounds strange, but I try not to turn in any musical cue unless I feel like a little tingle in my spine. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And so I want to feel that. I want to feel like just. I want to feel that, and that's kind of my that's my litmus test when I know I want a scene or we want a scene to really hit home. You know, it's it's Absolutely. finding that, making sure I feel that thing in my spine and i mean you mentioned yeah it is a very emotional uh show and there's these heavy moments and and yeah you did take kind of a more kind of uh simple and organic approach uh and and you talked about yeah you don't want it to be too schmaltzy or melodramatic i mean how do you but how do you know when you get to that point do you have to kind of cross over the limit till you 
to know that you need to step back or do you like where do you find the line not to cross i guess is the question i don't know i think it's just uh, as um you know, I think I just I, I keep I try to keep myself in check as much as possible. You know, I, I I'm also the kind of person that watches something and I'll and I'm like, oh, that feels so cheesy. You know, and I'll just say it out loud to myself. So I'm constantly on this cheese alert, and so I feel like I, in anything I do, not just this is us, any show I do, I'm always on. You know, in anything, I'm just I'm I'm very cognizant of it. I try to try to try to stay clear of it. I mean, this season of This Is Us, on the other hand, was wildly epic with the score. Yeah. Um, you know, I so there were moments where it has to be big and sweeping, but it can be done in an interesting, cool way. You know, we had an entire Vietnam story this season that required me to kind of score battle scenes in Vietnam. Um, you know, there's an episode where I had to score. Um, um, the story about Jack's brother and, 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 and the story of how Jack lost his brother in Vietnam. He always said he lost his brother in Vietnam, but his brother ended up surviving Vietnam. It's that their relationship did not survive Vietnam. And um, it's because the brother lost, lost his mind there. I mean, he, and so there's an episode where the brother is high as a kite on a little canoe with a little Vietnamese boy. And as he's high he's like a grenade falls out of his hand um and and the boat explodes and the kid gets blown up and um and i'm scoring this entire massive sequence of that happening uh and so you know there are moments where i had to completely stretch the season and go in a completely different space i mean i had to that entire the, the scene that scene it was episode three eleven, I think it was called Songbird. Was the was the episode part one, yeah. and you know I, I was creating the sound of tinnitus by bowing on my vibraphone. You know, wow. it was that was it was that kind of it was really uncomfortable and unsettling, um, and and you know and that and it felt authentic to the moment. You know, that was a Vietnam scene. It was an there was an explosion. You know, a little boy just died. Um, it was tense, and it was maybe one of the most tense pieces of score I've ever written. Um, yeah, but you know, so, you, so I got so those opportunities will also present themselves now on the show. You know, when you have a show with that many tentacles, anything is kind of possible. Yeah. So has there been like a natural progression, I guess, over the course of the three seasons, or is it since it, the storylines are kind of becoming, you know, the tentacles are getting longer. This, is it always kind of just changing, kind of providing new opportunities with a no, like, season season three, How is there a way to, like, see the progression of the score, or is it just constantly kind of just a moving thing? The score has evolved, um, and in a way that I never imagined it would have evolved. Okay, so uh, there was an episode um, midway through season one where we see Kate um, and and we've just found out that her, we found out a few episodes earlier that her father had died when they were younger and it ends up becoming this like, it ends up becoming, becoming this big mystery of the show is how her father died. And any mention of the dad dying has all of a sudden became this very like haunting concept. Mm. Uh, that was just, it was really cool to see. Uh, <laughs> I don't think Dan ever intended that to happen, but it did. Uh, but it, that became an important part of the series. And there's an episode where Kate is in um, a weight loss camp and she's 
in a pound class and they're sitting on a bunch of these yoga mats and they're banging sticks on the ground. And in that process, she has a flashback to her childhood with her dad. Um, and those images immediately break your heart because we love this dad, this character. And we now find out that he actually didn't, he does not live to, to be, he doesn't live in the future. He's, right. he's done in the past. Um, and then we see this flashback to the funeral and it's the first time we've ever seen this. And it's a silent montage of the funeral. There's nothing happening. It is just dead silent. And all of a sudden, the score evolved into something Indian. Mm-hmm. And I started like playing my, that's where I really started playing my wooden table with my fingers and making, you know, I'm just playing like rhythms wow. on my wooden table with my fingers. I was just basically watching it and just like, just noodling along. And I'm like, oh, maybe I should record this. <laughs> I recorded my fingers and even some of the melodies almost started becoming a little more classical Indian and I did without me even realizing it was just happening and then I remember Dan telling me that that was a transformative moment in the score for the show he's like whatever happened there he's like that was a big moment and then that unleashed this whole thing for the next couple of seasons and if you listen to the score um especially season three, even a lot of season two, there's a lot of Indian influence in the music now, in the score. And maybe it's because on some level, I feel like, you know, the Indian music is, there's influences from Indian music that can help sell this larger connectivity of life where it feels organic. It feels special. It feels original. It also feels me. You know, we talk about bringing bringing your own artistry into your work. This is a perfect example of, of that. Um, and it wasn't me forcing it in. It just I didn't start the season series that way, but it has become that way. I love that because I mean, yeah, you always see Hollywood kind of throwing like, oh, you use uh, certain nationalities or um, cultures in their, their music for their location, and it's like, oh yeah, you're gonna take place in India, Indian music, but kind of bringing styles right. and flavors into something that's not necessarily like, oh, this is the stereotypical way to do it. It's I think that opens up so many different avenues. That's amazing. Yeah, it's just, and you would never think that. And I think that's also a testament to Dan Fogelman, you know, is, is his openness to to push the, to, to, to push our limits as much as possible and not even look at what, look at anything we do as having any limits. Uh, you know, it, you know, I think when you are, when you work with people that are more rigid and, um, and don't see beyond kind of what they know, uh, it, it, it limits you. And, um, I'm fortunate to work with people that, you know, are open. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's amazing that you get to be you and create awesome stories and stories that touch people and, and, and work as a collaborative team. That's, that's, uh, that's, that's amazing. (laughs) I mean, in fact, I had to even have a conversation with Dan one time. I remember I said, Hey man, I said, is the music getting too Indian for you? (laughs) And he was, and he was like, no, keep on doing what you're doing. That's and awesome. that was encouraging to hear because even I, if anybody, I was the one saying, "Hey, is, is this going to work? You know, is it, <laughs> is it okay for me to like have like this like Tanpura drone in the background that like sitar players play over at a concert, like like just right. through an entire Vietnam sequence?" And he's like, "Yeah, it's cool." That's amazing. <laughs> um, but to to kind of uh, wrap up and just kind of looking at your process overall, uh, and I know this, I like to ask this question to. To, to composers and I know it's going to be different for a, any project but 
Where does the first note come from? I know you mentioned uh, with This Is Us, Dan provides you with a, a script and you use that to kind of get your first ideas, but typically where do you like to go for that first note to pull that first idea out? Do you like to wait till there's a first cut of whatever you're working on? Do you like to talk to the showrunner or the director and get that script early or do you like to just focus on the characters? I mean, kind of where do you go for, for that inspiration? I like seeing early images, like an early cut. I mean, it could even be a photograph, honestly, of, a, of, a, of an episode. Um, but I, I think nor a screenshot is fine for me. But I think normally I love seeing very, very early cuts of stuff. Um, even if I'm just sitting in the edit bay with an editor and just watching what they're doing for a few minutes, that helps me immensely. Um, and, and that's where the first note comes from. If I watch an early cut... I will watch it from start to finish and just have a mic on in the room and either I'll just hum something as I'm watching it or I'll play my acoustic guitar and a melody will come out from there or I'll get on my piano and play something and then that inevitably will become the theme of the episode. Wow. You know, I, 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 that show is very thematic so if you listen, if you watch that episode, every episode plays like a little mini movie and so there's a theme that kind of goes that weaves in and out of scenes, whether it's even a little transitional cue that may be 15 seconds long or it's a three and a half, four minute scene that closes the show, you'll hear that same theme, that same melodic hook kind of take you through. Um, so a lot of that's just coming from the first time I watch it and I just play around and I, I'm like, oh, okay. Da, na, 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 na. Okay, that's my hook. Mm. And I'm gonna do that, you know, in, in various incarnations throughout this. Well, that's 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 amazing. That's awesome. Thanks. <laughs> nice. um, but uh, Siddhartha, I want to thank you so much for 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 talking today, and and uh, congratulations on on This Is Us and everything that you all your, your body of work. But This Is Us has kind of has become the show that kind of launched into like superior pop pop culture, and everyone you know is watching it at the same time. That's such a you know becomes a community thing. So it's really amazing, and and your music is such a driving force behind it. Oh, well, thank you so much, and um, re really, really lovely meeting you, Kai, as well. I appreciate the support.